This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast is being brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com. So I uh, got back from New York City at, let's see, my plane landed at 1230. And here I am on the radio. And I was born and raised in New York City in in an area of Manhattan called Washington Heights. And then uh, we moved, we got like upgraded to the Bronx for a while. But I have to tell you, I have no nostalgic or longing for my hometown at all. Every time I go there, I'd like it less. And I remember when I moved down here in 1977, it was actually January of 1978. The move started in December of 77, but it didn't end until January of 1978. I had a baby who was less than a year old. I had no idea how this was going to work out. I'd been born and raised in New York. I'd spent a little time in Vermont, but most of my life I'd been a city girl. And I come down here and I know now we think this is overcrowded and expensive and everything else. But when I got here, all I could see were palm trees and beaches and clean sand and warm weather. And I was like, oh, I'll stay a while. You know, I'll stay a couple of years and then I'll go back. You know, maybe they'll get it together in New York because I couldn't ride the subways anymore. They were disgusting and they were perverts in every car. I couldn't stand traffic. If you had a car, which I tended to have a car in my adult years, you were forever sitting in traffic. And putting a snowsuit on a baby has to be like one of the worst things that a human mother has to ever do. I'm thinking about doing that like every day for months. I said, pack up the car, we're out of here. We made our way down to Beach, Florida. And I can tell you this, I still live in a exurb of Pompano Beach 46 years later. And I go back to New York and the first thing that happens, right? Plane is always late. And even if it's not really late, you don't make up time going that way. You can make up time coming this way, coming from New York to Fort Lauderdale, but you don't make up any time going from Fort Lauderdale to New York. So the plane gets in late. We have a rental car, which, of course, all the rental car agencies are off the premises. I will say this. LaGuardia Airport looked better than I'd ever seen it. They, like, really upgraded that airport. Spent, must have been a billion dollars on it. Why? You know, people are homeless, starving, you know, living on the street, and you have this airport that looks like an amusement park. To get to your gate, you have to walk through, it looked like Disneyland. You know how when you're in Disney, the only way you can get off a ride is to walk through the gift shop? Well, multiply that by like 50. So now to go from LaGuardia, to go from where you check in, you know, the TSA, to your gate is like a 
I don't know, a mile walk in some instances for us. Of course, I measure with my smart, my bit, smart bit, whatever my thing is that calculates my state steps. Took uh, 1,800 steps to get from the TSA to our gate, our departing gate. And we had to walk through some kind of fountain that had like a light show in it. I mean, it was beautiful, but like, I'm at the airport. I just want to go home, you know? And then multiple, I mean, they're selling uh, Louis Vuitton bags and, and uh, you know, all kinds of high-end shops. And then dozens of bookstores. I never saw that many bookstores in my life. People don't even read books. They read on their Kindle. Probably seven or eight bookstores, which actually did my heart good. I'm hopeful that people will read because what's on the... Uh, on the television and what even on the internet is garbage and dozens of different kinds of food and all this neat stuff. But anyway, I tell you this because it was an adventure and I always share my adventures. We're going to talk about X, which is the new name for Twitter. We're going to talk about Joe Biden, the criminal. We're going to talk about Donald Trump. Ooh, the countdown. They're waiting for more indictments. What is Jack Smith going to do now? We'll talk about all that, but I have to tell you the adventure first. So we get in. Now, the rental car place is open until midnight, and the plane lands at 11.50, which means there ain't no way in God's green earth that we're going to get to the rental car agency in time to pick up the car so that we can then drive to a hotel in Flushing. But I'm hopeful, right? I mean, I, we can't be the only people in this position. Get off the plane. I call the rental car agency and they say, don't worry, don't worry. There's going to be a bus. I'll pick you up within, I don't know, I think they said 20 minutes. Just go to XYZ spot, which is another 1,200 or 2,000 steps, right? Go there and the, the van comes. There's a couple of people. We all get on. It's a van for three different agencies, National, Alamo, and some other one. And so we all kind of pile in to this van, drive there, and when we get the guy, when we get on the van, he's saying, "If you don't have a reservation, don't even get on this van. There's no cars. Don't get on this van." So we did. We had a reservation. We get on the van. We pull into this lot, which was only like you probably could have walked there in eight minutes. Not that I would have, but you probably could have. But we get there in like three and a half minutes, and he goes, "Okay, who has midsize?" Now. I don't remember which size car I got. I was like, I do. He says, okay, pick any one of those over there. The key's in it. And I I walk up. I said, well, I like this one. Let's take this one. Get in it. Drive up to the gate. My husband gives him the driver's license and uh, the credit card. They scan it. We're on our way. It was amazing, really. I mean, uh, (laughs) I don't know how that works, but it seemed to work. We get there, and now we drive to the hotel, which I haven't been in Flushing in probably 30 years, maybe longer, maybe 40 years, 50 years. I don't know. I didn't spend a lot of time in Flushing ever. So we go there, and it's Flushing, Queens, not Flushing, the Flushing that I'm thinking it is, right? So we get there in a few minutes, and we're in, like, Chinatown. Now, I'm not trying to, you know, I don't say that in a, well, I don't say it in any kind of way that you should worry about me, 
But I had no idea that there were this many Asians living in this part of Queens, right? And we're staying at a place called the Asiatic. That should have been a giveaway, right? And we can't figure out where is it. You know, we're looking. It was a little boutique hotel that our travel agent, yes, we still have a travel agent. I know nobody else does, but my husband insisted that we become members of this travel agent. Please, don't get me started. But so we, we find it. We have to park in a municipal parking lot. That's okay. The hotel is going to stamp your card. It'll only be $25 overnight. Everything in, in New York is $25. Everything. Soda, water, everything. So, so we walk into this place. It looks like a storefront, right? We walk in. It was one of the nicest boutique hotels I think I've ever stayed in in my life. And fortunately, we had rooms reserved there uh, Friday night when we got in and Sunday night so that we could get up early and take an early flight out of New York. Lovely, lovely hotel. Ridiculously priced, but lovely. You know, and from then on, the trip went south. The family was wonderful. Had a great time, uh, you know, as good a time as you could have at a memorial. We were there for a memorial for a niece. But it was built, my husband's family, a lot of uh, people that he hadn't seen in a while were there. A lot of people didn't show up. But it was lovely. It, we, it was in Connecticut. So the next morning we got up and we drove to Connecticut, Clinton, Connecticut. And all I can tell you is walking through my hometown of New York City, and now I, I must admit the only place I was was really in Flushing. I didn't go into Manhattan at all. Saw a little bit of the Bronx. And everywhere you go is the pungent aroma of marijuana. Now, when I grew up in the 60s, everybody tried marijuana, except for Bill Clinton, who didn't inhale, but the rest of us all inhaled, right? And it was against the law, and you kept it real quiet, and it wasn't particularly potent, and you giggled a lot, and you ate um, Hostess cupcakes. And that was, that's my memory. That is not the kind of pot they're smoking in New York or anywhere else, I don't think, because the smell is so strong that it's wafting in the streets. It's legal. And the people look absolutely deranged. Everybody is walking around. It looks like a scene out of the zombie apocalypse movies. I have to tell you, it was very disturbing. Couldn't wait to get back home. Connecticut was nice. She has a nice big piece of property. We hung out in the backyard, all kinds of trees, and that, that was pleasant. But I'm telling you, next week I'm going to be broadcasting live from Kentucky. I'm moving to Kentucky. Maybe not this year, maybe not next year, but in the end, I'll move to Kentucky because I can broadcast from Kentucky. I can broadcast from anywhere. But we have our eye on a little piece of land up there in Kentucky, right near the Ark, just in case, you know, a flood. It's got to be thinking ahead, right? And uh, and that's where I'll I'll be doing my show from next week, and I'm super excited about that because when I'm not doing my show... I'll be rocking in a rocking chair on the porch because that's as close as I'm going to get to a vacation this year. But I can tell you, I have to work. I have to work. I don't get to like just go away. Um, I come racing home to do my show <laughs> when I do go away. But I can tell you, people are sick and tired of this administration, even Democrats, even the ones in New York who, you know, I'm on. it's a an unspoken rule between me and my husband. I am not to bring up anything. If somebody asks me what I do for a living, 
I am allowed to say I work on the radio, but I cannot say what kind of work I do on the radio. So they all presume that like he used to be a jazz DJ, that I'm probably a, you know, a classic rock DJ. And he wants us to leave it at that, right? But they, uh, they're never satisfied. They've all figured it out already. I've been married to the guy for over 10 years. They've all figured out what it is I do and who I am. You, know, you just have to Google my name. So it's really fun to not get sucked into discussions. You know, I, I kind of relish that. He don't like it, but I relish it. But this time, everybody was eager to tell me how crappy things are and how they blame the politicians in Washington for this. And in particular, they blame Joe Biden. It was fascinating, really. And, and I, I know that, that that's not the majority of Democrats, but I'm, I'm giving you the good news. If you're a Trump supporter like me, don't be afraid to say it and make your case, okay? Because people are, independents are absolutely frustrated. De Democrats who still have any family values or faith-driven lives, they're frustrated. And they really, you know, none of them are gonna vote for Vivek Ramaswamy or Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantis, especially not Ron DeSantis. Man, you say Ron DeSantis' name outside of Florida, and it's like you need to hold up a, a piece of garlic or a cross or something because people get very upset. How can you live with him? You know, I just nod and say, oh, he's a great governor. Great governor. No, I don't want him to be president, but he's a great governor. I do want him to be president one day, just not this day. Anyway, that now we'll get to the meaty stuff. When I come back from this break, I really have to talk about, first of all, you know, some of the machinations of Elon Musk are so fascinating to me. I think I am absolutely enamored with Elon Musk, not in the like, you know, I don't want to bear his children, although he'll go anywhere and drop seed. He wants to have lots of kids all over the place. Um, thank goodness I'm too old for that. But I, I'm just fascinated by how his mind operates and how he's able to take something that looks like a total disaster and loss and turn it into a successful anything. Because that's what's about to happen to X, or as you formerly know, the X, the platform formerly known as Twitter. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about Bibi Netanyahu, emergency pacemaker while the country is on the brink of civil war. Stay right where you are. I got lots to talk about. Oh my this episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. Goodness, you can't, you just can't. You cannot make some of this stuff up. But I don't have to because it's all really hand happening. 
And if you want to just know what's happening, you can just open up your computer screen or your telephone. If you're tied into any, you know, news service whatsoever, you'll get all these headlines. And it's very concerning. I'm, I'm very concerned about what's happening in Israel. And I know that I talk about Israel quite often. I'm a big supporter of Israel. But there's a lot of things that are going on currently that are going to impact the world. And they're definitely going to impact us. Because Israel at this moment is the only democracy in the Middle East. And don't tell me Turkey. And you know, I know I've heard all those stories, but I'm not, not buying it. The lawmakers, the Israeli lawmakers, voted today to limit the Supreme Court's ability to strike down government actions, which is what the right-wing parties want to happen. And in fact, what Bibi Netanyahu, the prime minister, wanted to happen. They pushed this through. Even though there were months of all kinds of protests and international condemnations, including from us, not us, but are this administration, a lot of civil unrest and people from business and people who are leaders in, in you know, the, the religious community were all trying to explain to the governing bodies that this was not good for the country. That when you have a country or a society that's deeply divided and you insist on pushing through some very divisive legislation, you run the risk of a civil war. Now, I say that because I believe the United States of America is perilously close as well. And it's not because I think people have such different ideas about what this republic should look like. I think for the most part, people would like this republic to look like the country that they read about, or in my case, the country that existed when I came into this world. And it wasn't perfect, and I come from an impoverished background, but it was a country filled with optimism. It was a country where if you had differences with someone, you were encouraged to debate, and the debate didn't degenerate into name-calling. That didn't start happening, actually, until I went to grad school. Even in college, we had civil debates about all kinds of things. We talked about abortion from the perspective of what can you do to make this procedure as safe as possible and as rare as possible. You know, we should be providing better methods of birth control. These were the debates that we were having on both sides, whether you were pro or against abortion, there were legitimate debates that took place. I participated in many of them because I was one of those rare breeds of, uh, you know, a leftist who thought that life in the womb was precious and should be protected. You know, I think the founding fathers talked about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and I don't think they were excluding the unborn. So we civilly debated all those issues racism. We had racism and we debated intensely about what was the appropriate reaction to a system that had become 
ingrained in racism and perhaps had undone the best and brightest minds in certain communities by insisting that they were incapable of competing and then carving out all these uh, special rules and regulations which did not serve the community. But we debated those things. Guys like Daniel Patrick Moynihan, nobody's going to say he was a conservative. He was a left-wing, liberal man of principle. And there were plenty of them. And we debated. The problem is we don't do that anymore. And they weren't doing that very well in Israel for the last couple of months. Now, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, who everybody knows, I have a very strong fondness for Bibi Netanyahu. I think he is one of the consummate leaders of my generation. He's a little bit younger than me, but not much. And I was watching what was going on, and it was disturbing. Well, I think it was on Friday or Saturday. I get this news flash because I have a special app on my phone that when there's news about Israel, certain subjects, I get a notification. So I get this notification that the prime minister has been taken to the hospital to have an emergency pacemaker implanted. Now, you have to understand, I've watched this emergency pacemaker bit before. We had the same thing with uh, Dick Cheney. And he was fine afterwards, and he apparently is still fine, even if his daughter's a raving lunatic. And so I, I watched carefully, and within like 12 hours or 14 hours, Bibi's sitting in the parliament as they're voting. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, modern medicine really is something, huh? And the things that those guys were saying to one another and gals were saying to one another reminded me of, did you ever watch the Japanese parliament? It's like, you may not understand what they're saying, but you realize they're wagging their fingers and they're very upset and they're arguing. Well, that's what the Knesset looked like. And every now and then, Bibi would get up, and I was watching a live feed. Every now and then, he would get up and walk out, and I'm thinking, you know, the doctors are probably, you know, hooking him up to a machine because you can get through this pacemaker, emergency pacemaker implant, and you could be all right, but I'm sure for the first, like, 24 hours, don't they usually monitor you? Anyway, he took a bunch of phone calls, including a phone call from the president, Herzog, who had just come back from America and was working feverishly to try and broker some kind of last-minute compromise. But then you had this parliamentary session where these people are chanting. The people outside were chanting shame, 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 and so were the people inside. The opposition members inside, the ones who don't agree with the prime minister or any of the uh, right parties, religious conservatives and nationalist uh, parties, they weren't backing down. And just before, I think it was uh, 4 o'clock, their time, the opposition members left the chamber in protest and all of the people who stayed were loyalists to Bibi Netanyahu, and they voted 64 to 0 in a 120-seat body. So th that means that 50 
six people were not present for this vote. And they basically changed Israel's laws. They're very basic laws. And no longer can the Supreme Court in Israel use this power it, has been, it had been given with you know, judicial re review. It was a huge victory. And there are a lot of people who are very unhappy about it. And I see stuff like that happening here, maybe not to the same extent, maybe not as quickly, but this upcoming election is going to be very intense. It's already intense. We're in a primary season, and it's already intense. I worry. I worry about people who are not educated and don't understand what's going on becoming fearful and reacting. That's when you have problems. And they've deliberately kept people dumbed down. And we're dumbing down a whole future generation. The only good thing I can tell you that came from my trip to my old hometown was that I probably will not be going back there unless it's an emergency, like a pacemaker installation. <laughs> but uh, I just, it's not for me. And one thing I am quite certain about, this country is so divided right now, it's like a can of gasoline is teetering on the wooden dried out stump of a tree. And all that has to happen is somebody bumps into it the gasoline falls down and a spark from some marijuana joint lights it and poof, it all goes up. Why do you think people are so fascinated and flocking to the movies to see two movies this weekend? One is some delirious, I don't understand everybody dressed in pink Barbie movie. The other one is Oppenheimer about the nuclear bomb. People are fascinated and fearful. And when you have a population that's fascinated and fearful, a simple spark could set the whole thing off. Let me take a break. When I come back, I want to talk about that. I also want to talk about Elon Musk, who is quickly becoming one of the most incredibly interesting people to talk about. I'll be right back. Well, the interesting news coming out of Forbes with everything that Elon Musk is doing and has done is he has recaptured the title of the world's richest person this week. They were going back and forth between him and uh, Bernard Arnault, who is the uh, French luxury goods mogul. But according to Forbes, real-time billionaires list, Tesla stock has rebounded, propelling the eccentric billionaire into the number one seat. Musk's astronomical net worth gained another, now listen to these numbers, gained another $4.1 billion on Monday, according to Forbes calculations, boosting his net worth by more than one and three quarter percent to a comfortable $240.7 billion as of noon today. The stock climbed more than two and a half percent. It's just over $266, I think, right now. And that's, 
you know, the other guy, Arno, that's uh, Louis Vuitton and, and uh, Christian Dior and Tiffany. He owns all those luxury item companies. Um, he had lost the title of world's richest person just on Friday, but he has reclaimed it on Monday. <coughs> oh, that was interesting. Anyway, on the heels of literally deciding that Twitter's iconic bird is gone. And I just, I keep logging on because I wanted to see when did the change actually take place. You've been talking about it for the last 48 hours. And sure enough, when I got on at three o'clock, the company's logo had changed on the website from the bluebird to the letter X. And you get redirected to the domain x.com. And of course, we know that X has a special meaning to him. That's what he called uh, his space technology company, um, the first model of Tesla. And it's interesting. The world's third richest person is Jeff Bezos behind Musk and Arno. And then the founder of Oracle and the former CEO of Oracle, Larry Ellison, and then Bill Gates, and then Warren Buffett, and then uh, Microsoft CEO Steve Ballmer. So these, these guys, it's absolutely amazing to me the quantity of money that they have, which is why Elon Musk could buy Twitter at the most ridiculous premium and laugh. Literally. Can you imagine if you bought something for billions of dollars? Well, let's just make it real. Let's say you bought a little piece of property. You bought it for uh, $100,000. And then you turn around and find out it's only worth $40,000. Like, you're devastated. I certainly would be. That's kind of what happened to Elon Musk with Twitter. He buys this company for billions of dollars, and then he finds out it's not worth that much. It's not even worth half what he paid for it. So what does he do? Does he dump it, panic and dump it? No. He decides he's going to change it. He's going to ditch the bird, and then he is going to rename this platform and take it to great heights. Now, trust me, this has a little to do with Tucker Carlson and a number of other very strong-voiced conservatives who really are looking to create a new media giant. Now, I know a lot of people expected um, Chris Ruddy to do that with Newsmax, but it's not happened, and I know why. But I'm not going to say anything. I believe that Elon Musk is going to take this platform, x.com, to crazy heights. And I don't know if I can say that with any true confidence. I have been out of the financial broadcasting business for quite some time. But I just keep watching this guy and reading biographies about him and observing how he operates in that space. And if I had 
a million bucks to invest right now, I'd put it all on Elon Musk. I saw an interesting movie on my flight home this morning too. That's the great thing about JetBlue is you get the movies and TV, get direct TV, all this cool stuff. Right at your seat. You don't have to look up or anything. And I watched a movie that I didn't watch when it came out in the movies because at the time, it just didn't seem like something that would interest me all that much. I knew the story and I didn't want to be reminded of just how bad the mortgage securities ripoff was. So a movie called The Big Short. It's got some incredible acting in it. Christian Bale plays a very plays an Elon Musk kind of character, only he's a MD who decides that he's watching what's going on and the mortgage securities being bundled together and he sees devastation ahead. He's the first one to notice it. And then it's a series of other people who notice it and they all short these mortgage-backed securities. And of course, we all know what happened in 2007. I mean, those things went belly up, banks folded. He was short in banks also, uh, or some of these guys were, Mark Baum. They were all shorting the bank stocks, big banks, and they, they went belly up, but they got bailed out by the government. And that's the insane part of this movie is that you watch it and you realize that the government knew all along that this was happening. But they had already planned to stick the taxpayer with the bill. And we got stuck with that bill. So I wasn't eager to watch that movie, but I must admit, it was fascinating. The acting was superb. I, I never really liked this Steve Carell guy before. The only thing I'd ever seen him in was the where they waxed his chest. I don't even know what that was called. Something about a virgin. And I really never followed The Office or any of those shows that he was on. Maybe that's the only show he was on. I don't know. But boy, did he do a great job in this movie. Marissa Tomei. There were a lot, you know, Christian Bale. Brad Pitt, who actually owned, you know, it was his production, did a superb job. A lot of interesting characters being played by some really great actors. It was... If you didn't see it, it's definitely worth pulling it up on your streaming service and watching it. It'll depress the heck out of you, though, to realize just how bankrupt this government is and how bankrupt Wall Street and banks are and have been and how they get away with it. Because you and I couldn't get away with this stuff. Uh-uh, no way. Anyway, we're going to take a break. Don't forget, coming up after me is Eric Erickson. And then all the great guys during the evening and tomorrow morning, Jen and Bill will be back, followed by Brian Kilmeade. And of course, I don't, I guess Dan may be on vacation, but the Dan Bongino star show right at 12 o'clock. And then I'm on at three. That's our new lineup. I hope you're enjoying it. And when we come back, I have to talk about Travis King. Because if you don't know who Travis King is, shame on us. I'll be right back. So if my job is to carefully monitor the news stories that matter to the American people, and that's how I perceive of my job, not to report the news, but to carefully monitor the news and then to analyze that same news and let you know what I think. 
Well, that, you know why I think what I think. And most of the time, I'm groaning and moaning because it's, I find it unbelievable how little attention we pay to so much of the important news. Like, anyone talking about what just went down in Israel. Now, I haven't been watching a lot of stuff, but you would think it'd be coming across on my feed every five minutes. I mean, the parliament approved a law that limits the Supreme Court's ability to challenge any parliamentary decisions. It includes a provision that prevents judges from striking down government decisions on the basis that they're extremely unreasonable. <laughs> so they could pass all kinds of extremely unreasonable laws and there'll be no ruling authority over that. The architect of the plan said Parliament had taken the first step, this is where it really gets scary, in an important historic process of overhauling the judiciary. Well, let me tell you something. That's what the Democrats want to do here, overhaul the judiciary. So just because conservatives want to do it there, I'm watching carefully to see how does this play out. But of course, it doesn't seem to matter that much to the mainstream news media. The other thing, as I said before we went to the break, what's going on with Travis King? Do you even know who Travis King is? Because if you don't, then not only have I failed, but everybody else has failed. Because Travis King is an American soldier who crossed the military demarcation line a week ago tomorrow while he was supposed to be heading to Fort Bliss, Texas. And our country is so inept right now that they can't even figure out what to do. So now the United Nations is in conversation with North Korea to try and get an American soldier named Travis King, who was detained in North Korea last week after he ran across the very heavily armed border. Uh, and we don't even know how he's doing. The well-being, unknown. The command's primary concern is that they establish communication lines. Now, let me ask you a question. The kid's family. This is a young man whose mother has weighed in on this already. They cannot imagine that he would do this. His mother, Claudine Gates, told ABC News last week, she just wants her home, her son home safe. Now, you know, you can be pessimistic or you can be optimistic, but we're talking about an American soldier being held in North Korea and there's no reporting about it. And, and all we hear from the officials is that North Korea is ignoring our requests for information about Private Travis King who is an African-American young man, and you would think that it would be all out, we want our soldier back. These are the moments when I say to myself, you really think that Donald Trump wouldn't be a better person to have sitting at the helm right now? South Korea's military just confirmed that the USS Annapolis, which is a nuclear-propelled U.S. submarine, arrived at a port on Jeju Island. It was sent because North Korea is fire or test-firing 
ballistic and cruise missiles. Now, my recollection of the Trump years, even though he was abused mightily for joking around about Little Rocket Man and meeting with Little Rocket Man and walking on the demilitarized zone line with Little Rocket Man, they were not test firing a bunch of missiles and rockets. And they definitely were not holding an American soldier. Now, they were holding an American, and Donald Trump got that American back. Unfortunately, it was too late, and Otto Warmbier was just destroyed, but at least he got to die in his home country. Not that, you know, that was a, the outcome we wanted. But now we're being told that North Korea wants to wait weeks or even months before they give any information because right now they've got all the leverage. Who would you rather be the commander-in-chief today if you were Travis King's mother? Joe Biden or Donald Trump? Because that's the decision that this country's going to have to make. And I don't care. I don't care whether you like him or don't like him or anything else. When this stuff happens, when the poop hits the fan, I need somebody who the little rocket man is afraid of, who the mullahs in Iran are afraid of. I need someone who's going to have BBs back. I need someone who f strikes fear into the heart of tyrants and dictators. So I thank you for your time this time until next time. I, my plan is to be back here at three o'clock tomorrow if it be his will and he delays his coming. What lies behind us and what lies ahead of us are tiny matters compared to what lies within us. So wherever you are, just be yourself. Everybody else is taken. And then may God bless you and may God bless the United States of America. See you tomorrow at three. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast has been brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com.